Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Lower and Outer Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In today's episode, we have potential good news for the Jamaican congregation that has been worshipping at the Chapel on the Pond in Truro, a temporary location for the Muse restaurant in Provincetown, the potential sale of Nappy's restaurant, and a matter of opinion from Ira Wood about a personality test for select board members. Last week in Truro, two houses were moved, rolling their way slowly down Route 6 to their new location on a town-owned lot at 25 South Highland Road. Crews from a New Hampshire-based building moving company worked with the DPW, the Massachusetts Department of Transportation, and utility companies to safely move the houses to their new home. One house was moved from South Pamet Road, while the other was from the Walsh property, one of eight structures that have stood there for years, empty and uninhabited, and which are now owned by the town. Truro plans to use the two houses as seasonal and transitional housing for town staff, beginning as soon as this summer. The transport was scheduled to start at 6.45 a.m. on Wednesday and Thursday of last week and last about three hours each day. However, on Thursday, it took about two hours to move the first house just one mile of the 2.7-mile journey, and traffic was backed up on Route 6 until the middle of the day. Complications in moving Verizon cables out of the way were one reason for the delay, as workers had to temporarily relocate power and telecommunications cables at each set of telephone poles where the cables crossed the route, mostly by lifting the wires carefully over the houses. In some cases, the cables had to be brought all the way down to the ground. Meanwhile, the town has posted an invitation for contractors to submit construction bids for upgrades on the houses, which need new foundations, septic systems, and other work. The deadline for bids is March 13th. Town manager Darren Tangeman said that the rentals will be available to all town staff, with year-round rental options at the properties also under consideration. Tangeman told The Independent that the town will develop a business plan for these properties in the next 60 to 90 days. The town of Provincetown is asking folks to consider the idea of a multi-use path along Route 6 from the Truro town line to Shankpainer Road. In an email to the Cape Cod Times, the Provincetown Community Development Director wrote that there are several designs being presented to the public for input and feedback, one of which would include paths along both sides of the highway. The path along Route 6 from the Truro Line to the Champaigner Road intersection would be about 2.7 miles and would use land already owned by the town. There's also the possibility of creating an additional municipal parking area along the highway between Conwell Street and Shankpainer Road. One reason the town is seeking more parking is in response to a proposal to build a new visitor center 
on the McMillan Pier parking lot, which would require the relocation of about 60 parking spaces. A feasibility study will explore existing plans to create a roundabout at the intersection of Shangpana Road and Route 6, a multi-use path that runs to Herring Cove, and bike lane and sidewalk improvements to Shank Painter. The town has hired a design firm to determine the feasibility of the multi-use path, and a public forum about the project is scheduled for 5 p.m. on March 18th at Town Hall. In addition to the public forum, an online community survey is now available for residents and stakeholders to provide feedback. You can find more information and a link to the survey on the town website at provincetown-ma.gov. The Muse Restaurant in Provincetown hit a snag in their planned kitchen renovations this off-season, which jeopardized their ability to open for the season this year. So, co-owners Ron Robin and Edmund Teo have come up with an alternate plan. Open every year since 1964, the Muse's 60th season will start just down the street from its usual location on Commercial Street. The restaurant is scheduled to open today, Friday, March 1st, in the space that was formerly Spindler's and part of the Waterford Inn at 386 Commercial Street. Although the lion carving above the bar at the Muse was able to make the move, Robin said the menu will have to be abbreviated because the kitchen space at the new temporary location is much smaller. Two fixtures on the Muse menu, Shaking Beef and Muse Vindaloo, will be available during the year-long lease, along with daily specials, vegetarian, and vegan choices. Back at 429 Commercial Street, construction workers were installing a new kitchen floor and additional kitchen equipment when the owners learned that a new structural study would be required. The restaurant was originally built as a house in the 1860s, became a restaurant in 1936, and had been shored up with tree trunks to protect it from the ravages of erosion. Those tree trunks had to be replaced with steel and other more modern construction materials. Robin said that he and Teo have also been working with FEMA on designing updated flood prevention and mitigation for the historic property. The new space down the street has only 50 seats inside, compared to 120 in the Muse's normal location. But the owners are working with their chef to explore the possibility of serving lunch in the new location's outside seats, which seat 90 more. But for now, the Muse will be open and accepting reservations 5 to 8.30 p.m. Tuesdays through Saturdays with the hope of eventually opening daily for dinner and adding lunch service as well if enough staff can be hired. There was big news at last weekend's meeting at the Chapel on the Pond in Truro where a growing Jamaican congregation has been worshipping since 2017. The board of the Truro Conservation Trust has voted unanimously to try to acquire the property, which is likely to be listed for sale on April 1st. A donor has committed to providing $500,000 toward the purchase of the church and pledged to match other donations up to an additional $500,000. If successful, the campaign could thereby raise $1.5 million, which the property owner has suggested may be close to the asking price. The Conservation Trust would be the owner of the property and would offer a long-term lease to the Emanuel Faith Ministry at $1 per year in rent, with the stipulation that the parish pay all maintenance, utility, and operating costs. 
The trust has a similar agreement with the Truro Center for the Arts. In June 2020, the trust purchased 42 Cornhill Road and has been leasing it for $1 per year to Castle Hill, which handles maintenance and upkeep. The trust is already receiving donations for the chapel's purchase, but buying the chapel is far from a done deal. At Saturday's meeting, real estate broker Chris Nagel said that the space is so phenomenal that someone with deep pockets could be moved to offer more than the trust can afford in a competitive process. The chapel is in a district-zoned residential. That means that special approval would not be required for a buyer to build a single-family home there. Cleanup is underway for an estimated 250 gallons of heating oil that was discovered to have leaked into the ground at Mid-Cape Home Centers on Commercial Street in Wellfleet at the end of January. The extent of the spill appears to be limited to the property itself. The above-ground oil tank at the hardware store's location, just across the street from Duck Creek, was found empty by an employee. A report from the Mass Department of Environmental Protection, or DEP, said the oil leaked out of a hole in the bottom of the tank. The Wellfleet Fire Department and DEP were notified that day, and authorities covered the area with a tarp to prevent rain from pushing the oil deeper into the soil. Engineering firm Weston & Sampson has been performing soil and groundwater testing, which so far confirms that the spread is limited. Wellfleet's health agent said that the groundwater underneath Midcape Home Centers does not flow toward Duck Creek, but instead flows along Commercial Street, parallel to the shoreline toward the pier. This pattern means that the oil is unlikely to end up in the tidal creek. The cleanup process was initially inhibited by the location of the spill in a narrow space between the building and a retaining wall, so excavation couldn't begin until a structural engineer could pin the retaining wall to prevent it from collapsing. Another, more complex pinning process was performed for the building using large timbers, which delayed soil removal from beneath the building until February 19th. The contaminated soil and groundwater removed from the site will be transported to facilities off Cape for remediation. Jack Stevenson, president of Mid-Cape Home Centers, is responsible for cleaning up the spill and has apparently been very cooperative. A full report of the actions taken to mitigate and remediate the spill is due on March 25th, and all waste must be removed by May 24th. Provincetown artist Richard Pepitone's five-decade career is the subject of a retrospective exhibition currently on view at the Cape Cod Museum of Art in Dennis. Pepitone died in 2022 at the age of 86. The exhibition, on view through May 19th, includes sculptures in a variety of materials, glass and ceramic vessels, paintings and drawings, stained glass panels, monoprints, paper collages, and art made from found objects. The show is curated by Bill Eval, a Provincetown printmaker and painter who first worked with Pepitone in the 1970s as his studio assistant. The idea for the exhibition was born at Pepitone's memorial service. Cape Cod Museum of Art director Benton Jones talked to Eval and Pepitone's daughter, Michelle, who was cataloging her father's works. The more than 80 pieces in the retrospective were gathered from two dozen collectors, including works from the Cape Cod Museum of Art's permanent collection and those of the Provincetown Art Association and Museum. 
Eval will host a gallery talk at the museum on Thursday, March 7th at 4 p.m. Attendees will be invited to reminisce about Pepitone and his art, and a reception will follow. You can visit ccmoa.org for more information. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. A former Nauset student died Sunday night, hours after he set fire to himself outside of the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. Aaron Bushnell was transported to a local hospital in the nation's capital, where he was later pronounced dead. Bushnell attended Orleans Elementary School from 2003 to 2007 and Nauset Regional High School for one year in 2014. Bushnell was an active-duty airman in the United States Air Force. In a police report, the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Department said a unit from the Secret Service Uniform Division was called at approximately 1 p.m. Sunday to respond to a report of an individual exhibiting signs of mental distress outside the Israeli embassy. Bushnell doused himself with an unidentified liquid and set himself on fire, according to the report. Secret Service members extinguished the fire before fire officials arrived on the scene. Bushnell was treated and later pronounced dead Sunday night. Bushnell live-streamed his protest on Twitch. The video shows a man in military fatigues identifying himself as Bushnell talking as he approaches the embassy building. In the video, he identifies himself as an active-duty airman and says that he will no longer be complicit in genocide, referring to the situation in Palestine. The video then shows Bushnell douse himself in fluid before reaching into his pocket for what appears to be a lighter. He then can be heard repeatedly yelling, Free Palestine! as officials run to his aid. The New York Times and Washington Post reported that Bushnell was a member of the Community of Jesus near Rock Harbor in Orleans. A woman with that organization declined a request for comment from the Cape Cod Chronicle. The Massachusetts Air National Guard member charged with sharing hundreds of classified documents on social media is expected to plead guilty Monday. Airman Jack Teixeira has been charged with six counts of willful retention of defense records for allegedly sharing classified documents through the social media platform Discord. The leaks exposed analysis from across the U.S. intelligence community involving Russia's war in Ukraine and North Korea's efforts to develop nuclear weapons. The indictment said Airman Teixeira who worked at an intelligence unit at an airbase on Cape Cod, took the material off computers after conducting unauthorized searches of databases, even after a superior warned him to stop. Teixeira initially pleaded not guilty, but a filing Thursday in U.S. District Court from prosecutors in coordination with defense lawyers asked for a hearing on Monday for Teixeira to change his plea. The filing didn't say what charges he would admit. 
The classified documents leaked to Discord revealed work from the National Security Agency, the CIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, and the National Reconnaissance Office, which operates America's spy satellites. The Air Force disciplined 15 members of the National Guard after an investigation into the massive online leaks of classified information revealed a lack of adequate supervision and a culture of complacency. Another iconic Provincetown property appears set to hit the market as tenants of the multi-building property on Bradford Street associated with Nappy's Restaurant have been ordered to move out of their homes by April 1st. According to a notice delivered to residents of the 14-unit property in January, property managers Bernard McEnany and Lisa Meads intend to sell it, evicting as many as 13 people who currently live there. Ali Maloney of Barnstable-based AMG Realty confirmed to the Provincetown Independent that she's the listing broker for the property and said it will go on the market in the next couple of weeks. Nappy Van Derrick was known for his restaurant, his vast art collection, and for being a long-term landlord to dozens of people. When he died on Christmas Day of 2019, he left everything to his wife, but Helen had been diagnosed with dementia in 2018, and in 2020, a doctor declared her unfit to manage the estate. McEnany won conservatorship of Helen in October 2021. The next month, he was named personal representative of Van Derrick's estate. The property has been subject to a series of notices and health orders from the town, Several years of unaddressed health and safety violations culminated in $20,000 in fines in October. According to Provincetown Community Development Director Tim Famillari, in addition to unresolved sewer issues, the buildings at Nappyville have deteriorated significantly in the past four years. According to Health Department records, the town has been struggling to get McEnany and Meads to keep the structures safe and habitable. In January of 22, building inspector Jim Nickerson found that no units had working smoke alarms or fire extinguishers, and one unit had inadequate heat. Later that year, Nickerson found another unit in a semi-demolished state, and the town removed it from the property's licenses. An inspection in July of 23, however, found an occupant in that unit. After the July 23 inspection, health agent Leslie Rowell issued another order to correct, this time with fines attached. She ordered the managers to hire a structural engineer to assess the property, submit permits to replace hazardous electrical work, and connect to the sewer. She gave them 30 days to comply. In October, after racking up almost $20,000 in fines, McEnany hired an engineer to assess needed repairs. The town put enforcement in abeyance, but Famulari said the building department has not yet received any building permit applications, and McEnany has still not paid the town. Now, it seems the owners have decided that it's better to sell the property than deal with the health and safety issues themselves. 
Moving to news from Orleans, the developer looking to bring 29 units of housing to the site of the former underground mall on Route 6A was approved for a special permit from the Zoning Board of Appeals last week, bringing the much-anticipated project one step closer to fruition. The Zoning Board voted unanimously on February 21st to issue this special permit for the project, which calls for developing the units across five buildings, and repurposing the existing mall structure on the three-and-a-half-acre site. Chris DeSisto of Maplehurst Builders purchased the property in July of 2021. Initially proposed at 43 units, the project was scaled back to 29 due to issues with financing and situating a septic system on the property. DeSisto plans to finance the project independently, and he plans to sell 12 units as condominiums, with the remaining 17 units rented as workforce housing. Plans also include a community room and space for an office and apartment for an on-site superintendent. Of the 17 rentals, three would be rented as affordable to tenants who make up to 80% of the area median income in Barnstable County, DeSisto estimated the cost of an affordable rental to be about $1,800 a month for a two-bedroom unit. DeSisto estimated that a 1,000-square-foot two-bedroom condo on the property might sell for about $600,000. Sales from the condos would be used to help subsidize the cost of developing the rentals and keeping them affordable for the area's working population. The project calls for the existing underground mall structure to be used for parking, with about half of the proposed 88 parking spaces to be housed within the mall. DeSisto plans to use the top of the existing structure as green space for recreation, and solar panels could also be installed. Board members spoke favorably of the project, which has also won approval from the Site Plan Review Committee, the Architectural Review Committee, and the Board of Health. The zoning board is in the process of drafting its decision, which will be followed by a 20-day appeal period. In an email following last week's hearing, DeSisto said he's in the process of drawing up construction plans and securing financing. He did not estimate when the project might be ready to break ground. Americans have been reluctant to buy electric cars, with many folks opting to go with hybrid vehicles instead. One reason often cited is the lack of charging infrastructure, and that's certainly the case on the Cape. Chatham and Brewster currently have no public EV charging stations. Harwich has three public charging locations, while Orleans has four. All four towns have private charging stations, including at Chatham Bars Inn and Ocean Edge in Brewster, which are restricted to guests only. The majority of the Cape's charging stations are clustered around Yarmouth, Barnstable, and Falmouth. The Cranberry Plaza on Route 6 in Orleans, where Stop and Shop is located, has a 12-plug Tesla supercharger station that may or may not work with other manufacturers' vehicles. There are also chargers at the Orleans District Court and at the Rail Trail parking lot on Old Colony Way. There are charging stations at Cape Cod Tech in Harwich and two charging stations at the park and ride on Route 24 in Harwich are free. 
Orleans is currently working on adding two fast-charging stations at Depot Square and three dual-port stations at Nauset Beach. Director of Planning and Community Development George Maservi said the town is also investigating adding charging stations on Main Street, across from Town Hall, and at the public parking lot at 44 Main Street. There are also currently two charging stations at Eldridge Park in Orleans, and two more at Focal Point Studio, across from Staples Plaza on Route 6A. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. Okay already, enough with the hand-wringing, the outrage, and the complaints. I think I've got it figured out. The answer to Wellfleet's problems. As many Wellfleet residents will readily admit, we're ashamed of the clown show that appears in the headlines every week. Grants refused, staff resignations, select board animosity, unruly meetings... This past week, a speak-out was held to give residents a chance to vent, and the crowd, in person and via Zoom, exceeded the attendance of an annual town meeting. Management consultants diagnosed breakdowns in communication. Retirees pleaded for civility. Businessmen asserted that no company was ever run as poorly. Some even suggested that the Commonwealth should put the town under state receivership. But one longtime resident just sighed and said he'd seen it all before. And I actually agree. Most towns run smoothly for years, but have the tendency to blow up from time to time. Whereas Provincetown seems to be humming along these days, it wasn't that long ago that a former police chief went ballistic in a local bar when the waitstaff played a hip-hop song he thought was critical of the cops. If I remember correctly, the chief, the town manager, and a selectman left town after public outrage. Truro makes the headlines with voter registration issues and fights about affordable housing. And Wellfleet, there's nothing new about controversy in Wellfleet. I can remember when the entire town was up in arms when the select board fired a town administrator for being too popular. When a board member decided to direct traffic. And again, when the chairman decided to locate a massive industrial trash-burning factory on a quiet country road. We sometimes forget that all select board members are just volunteers. There is a 250-page guide to the roles and responsibilities of select board members in Massachusetts, but nobody is required to read it. I've come to believe that the majority of select board members are well-meaning citizens whose jobs are made impossible by a small minority of self-centered, egomaniacal, attention-seeking, cognitively challenged, big-headed narcissists. So, why not discover who they are before we elect them? And therein lies my suggestion— 
cognitive tests for public officials. I would never profess to be a clinical psychologist, but I am wondering if potential select people shouldn't take a short personality test to determine if they're fit to serve. All questions would be strictly impersonal and, in fact, based solely on the specific work selectmen are asked to do. For instance, question one. When the clock strikes midnight and the board has already been arguing for four hours, the best remedy is A. Table the discussion. B. Double down on the importance of your argument. C. Start screaming so the others understand how stupid they are. Question two. Among five members of the board, you are A. One member among equals. B. Someone who really cares deeply for the town. C. Obviously the smartest person in the room. Question three. Compromise is A. A good way to move forward. B. A way for everyone's point of view to be included. C. Only for weaklings and losers. Question four. The citizens of the town. A. Often have creative ideas. B. Ought to be heard out before making decisions. C. Are airheads who have no idea what's really going on. And question five. When other members of the board speak, A. Listening to them is important. B. It's time to take notes so that you can destroy their ideas when it's your turn. Or C. It's a really good opportunity to check your phone. A simple test like this would pretty much weed out the arrogant purists who drive our towns into the ground. I don't know if it's legal, but we certainly have to do something. The only other option I can think of is running the town by artificial intelligence. Because you can't always count on electing people who have enough of the real thing. I'm Ira Wood, and that's my opinion. And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Henry and Jane Fisher, Jacob Greenberg, and Karen and Joel Shaw for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. And now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz with Joel Shaw, right here on listener-supported Outermost Community Radio, WOMR.